welcome back to Artist Avenue. Today I'm joined by the wonderful Shivam Patel. Shivam was born in South Carolina and completed his training at both Winthrop University in South Carolina and the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama in London. Since graduating, Shivam has appeared in musicals in London and also worked with albums for new musicals. Alongside his performing profession, he's developing a career in computer science and photography. So without further ado, let's dive in and immerse ourselves into Shivam's wonderfully unique journey throughout the creative arts. Enjoy the episode. So I am Shivam Patel and I am a professional musical theater actor. I was working in London, but now I am in the States in South Carolina. If we go back to the beginning of your journey, what led you into the creative arts industry? How did you start out? Okay, so I started out when I was 10 years old. And so what happened was, so I was in elementary school at the time. And during recess, recess was like the worst thing for me. Like I liked the fact that it was a break from classes, but every one of my friends, they were so good at sports. So like they would, every time we would be at, race, at recess, we would play football, we would play baseball. We would have races to see who was the fastest. And I was always last. I hated sports. <laughs> so I dreaded recess. And so one day my music teacher comes into our classroom and she's like, hey, I need some volunteers for um, this cabaret that the teachers are doing. And it's going to be during recess, the rehearsals. And I immediately raised my hand because I was like, I'm tired of recess. Give me something else to do. So the students' participation in the cabaret was that the, the teachers would be singing certain songs and the students would play different parts in between the songs. So like the teachers sing, the students come on, do a little skit, and then the teachers come and do a song. So the song right before my skit was, these boots are made for walking. And my skit was, I had to play Puss in Boots and I had to wear like little, oh. little, little booties. And then I had like a hat and a vest and there would be a girl next to me. And the skit was literally just me kissing her hand and then walking off stage. That was literally <laughs> it. And then the teachers came and they sang. And so that it was such a small thing, but that was the first time I actually performed on a stage. And ever since then, I was like, I want to do this some more. Mm-hmm. That's such yeah. a cute story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's like my first initial um, go in with theater. Yeah. From then on, did you... How did you carry it on? Did you do any extracurricular activities in school or because then you obviously did study in the U.S. as well before coming over, didn't you? Yeah. So I, I have like two more instances that kind of like merged me with theater. So the mm -hmm. first one was when I was, I think, like 13 ish, 12 or 13. And this was when I first started off in middle school and we were like new to the school. So me and my friends, we saw that there was a, a poster for the school play. Mm -hmm. And as like a joke, we were like, let's do it. You know, it's going to be a funny thing. Like, no one's going to care. Let's just try it. And so we did it. And I played like a butler, like a small part in like the back of the, like all the action. And everyone else was kind of, you know, like taking it for what it was like, oh, we're just doing this as like a side thing. But when I was playing the butler, I was the most like a tentative butler you could ever be. That plate, the plate I was carrying on the food was super clean, super organized. <laughs> uh, anytime there was action going on on stage, 
even though my character wasn't supposed to be doing anything, I was like actively listening and like trying to like eavesdrop into what was going on. And the the director like commented on it and was like, yeah, we need more of that, like more like, you know, background participation. Not to the point where like, I'm, I'm actually like walking into the scene when I'm not supposed <laughs> to, but like, you know, still being active on stage when um, you're just standing there. And then the next year rolled around and my friends were like, we're not doing that anymore. And I was like, well, I want to do it. So then I started doing the play every year. And then um, our school started doing musicals. So when the musical started rolling in, they asked me to do that as well. So that's how I got into theater and musical theater at the same time. Uh-huh. And um, after you finished school, mm-hmm. how did you go about researching your university courses for performing arts yeah that was a little bit of a I I didn't do as much research as I should have the only reason why I and I don't like hold my sister accountable for any of this but she was doing a a grad program she was just starting her graduate school in pharmacy Mm -hmm. so my parents were taking out a bunch of loans and I I auditioned or I applied to different schools so I applied to a school in New York because of a, a friend's recommendation and then I also applied to Florida State because I heard I hear they have a great musical theater program so I got into the schools but I didn't audition for their programs their theater programs only because I wasn't independent enough to drive or fly there by myself and my parents were too busy to take me and I didn't have any friends who would have time to drive me there so I never really I, I just didn't I just accepted the fact that I wasn't going to go to those schools but there is a school in my hometown uh, they were starting a theater program or a musical theater program when I was about to start there. And I had a full ride as well. So I could easily go over there and audition. I didn't have to pay for tuition, for housing. So it just kind of lined up. It was all kind of like, it was the smartest choice in terms of like financially with us so that I could come out with no debt, which was really great in, the, the, in our field. Yeah. And uh, I was easily able to get into the program. And so in what Winthrop University lacked in terms of like, like stellar um, faculty that I gained through just like finding my own way and finding my own type of training through the, the program. Mm-hmm. So one of the, the great things about Winthrop was that there was a lot of opportunities to perform. So we had like, um, we had one act plays, we had like a one act festival so the students who were in the directing course, they got to pick their own one act that they liked, and then we would all put them on for like one weekend. And mm-hmm. so they would have their own rehearsals um, all around the campus, and you would just literally learn this one act in like a quick turnaround, yeah. and then just perform. So that yeah. was that, and that was every semester. We would have student shows, so the certain students would have like a favorite play that they wanted to direct and they would submit it as like um, an application to the faculty and they would pick two that would go on every year. Mm-hmm. And so you had opportunities to be in that. And then you also had faculty shows as well. So we had like two faculty plays every year and then one faculty musical that was either in the spring or in the fall. After finishing your course in America, mm-hmm. how did your graduation journey then evolve there? What did you do in the first few years when you were out of school? So it was, it was a little difficult graduating from Winthrop because there wasn't a lot of, there weren't a lot of courses on um, like the business, the industry. 
So I was really scared about that. Um, but we're luckily so close to Charlotte, North Carolina. And that sounded really Southern, North Carolina. <laughs> uh, and they have a, a, a children's theater called Children's Theater of Charlotte. And for most of the actors who come out of Winthrop University, if you're like serious about acting, you always apply to Children's Theater of Charlotte. And that's kind of like your gateway into like professional theater. So I auditioned for them and actually got into a new musical that they were writing called Grace for President. And it's a cute little story about a, a girl in her elementary school who wants to become the president of like their school election. Mm-hmm. but she realizes that there's no female president, so she runs to be the first female president. And so I, I did that for a couple of months, then was kind of in limbo for a few months. Um, we have this program called SETC, the Southeastern Theater Conference, and it's pretty much a giant cattle call for a bunch of different companies. Mm-hmm. So um, you go there, you are like number 756 out of 4,000, and you basically just audition with like a, a 90 second uh, package. And um, you'll either have callbacks or you don't. And you go to these callbacks and um, hopefully they'll contact you um, uh, when you get back home. And so I, I did that and I got into a program in Florida as a performance apprentice. And so I worked there for a year. And then, yeah, then, then when I was in Florida, I decided to uh, apply for master's programs. Mm-hmm. And what made you decide that? So I, after graduating from Winthrop, the fact that we didn't have like an industry class and, and also we didn't have a lot of classes on like technique per se. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff that I got was through performing and practicing it on, on the stage like if, as a fresh grad from Winthrop, if you asked me about Uta Hagen's nine questions, I would have no idea like what to tell you. And so I, I definitely was like, I, I need a master's uh, degree or at least master tra- some sort of master level training just because I felt um, very unprepared. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, that was kind of my decision to apply for master's programs. The reason why I applied to programs in London was because during, while I was at Winthrop, I did a study abroad. Mm-hmm. So I did a study abroad in Ormskirk, UK, which is right next to Liverpool. I've never heard of that. A lot of people don't. I don't know, I don't know why. I guess it's just, a, it's, it is a really small town. You I'll can walk through research. it in like five minutes. <laughs> Do it. It's, it's a cute little town. There's a, there's a lovely little cafe that I miss so much. And so it was at a school called Edge Hill University. And um, I, so I did that program for just a semester. But in that semester, the greatest takeaway I took from uh, study abroad was the teaching in the UK. Because in the US, our classes were like an hour and 15 minutes. And there would be like, you would have like six or seven classes in a day. In the UK, it was like three classes, but three hours each. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I got more in every class. And the teachers were so... Um, engaging. I, I trusted them. They taught me a lot and I felt like I grew a lot in the UK. So um, I talked to my professors in the UK and asked them what programs are great for um, musical theater and they recommended Central to me. So that was why I, I was like, you know what, I'm going to apply. I'm going to apply to Central and just see what happens. 
And there you were. <laughs> and there I am in London. <laughs> did you apply? Um, did you go to the audition live or did you have to do it? Or did they come over to America? They, they came to America. Yes. That was a hectic ordeal. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to make this story short. So it it's a good time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I was in Florida, right? And I, I, I was working. So I didn't have time to apply to all of the schools that I wanted to. So I applied to my top school. So I applied to Yale, Brown, and then Central. I was going to apply to Mount View, but I already got my acceptance letter from Central. So I didn't want to, you know, give up the acceptance from one school just to apply to another school. Mm -hmm. And so my audition was in New York and I had a flight ready to go um, sometime in the afternoon. So I got up in the morning and the airport's like an hour drive away from me. And uh, I get an email from the airline saying, hey, your flight's been pushed back later in the day. And so me, I'm thinking, I'm not going to get to the airport now because I would have to sit in the airport for like seven, eight hours. So I, I decided to go get lunch with my friends. Um, and while I'm at lunch with my friends, I get another email from my airline saying, hey, just kidding. We're bumping it back to the original time. Your flight leaves in, in an hour. And I'm freaking out. So I rush home grab all my things, like rush to the airport and halfway on my drive, I'm, I'm realizing I'm not going to make it. I, there's just no feasible way I'm going to get through security and everything in time. So I call the airline, get a refund. And I'm like freaking out because I need to get a flight to New York because my audition's the next day. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up getting a flight at a different airport that's two hours away um, at like six o'clock in the morning. So I wanted to get there by like four because I was like, I am not missing anything. Any updates, I will be at the airport ready to handle it. So I leave uh, where I am in Florida at two o'clock in the morning, get there at four, sleep in the airport for a little bit, fly out to New Jersey because that's where my family lives. So my family picked me up in New Jersey, got to their house, took like a quick power nap before heading into New York traffic. And uh, got to my audition at like, like with an hour to spare before before we started. And then on top of that, all this time I was in my audition clothes because I was like, I'm not about to wrinkle up my audition clothes <laughs> by packing them for just like a three hour flight. So I was wearing them the entire time. And like, I don't know why I, I've noticed something weird changing in the audition um, etiquette, but I was like, I was in like nice clothes. Like I was in a button up, rolled up sleeves, like nice colored chinos. And I get into this audition and everyone's in like sweats, like wearing a beanie, like <laughs> jeans. I'm just like, what has happened? And so not only that, but our, the audition wasn't even led by Paul or Maria or Arthur. It was led by Wendy, who was a part of the BA program. <laughs> and so I'm just like, what is happening here? And she starts off the audition with like us doing physical exercises. So I'm like trying to stretch in my, my chinos thinking, oh my God, I'm going to rip my <laughs> pants. And so that, that happens. And then Wendy's like, you know what? We could do this as like a normal, you guys come in one at a time. You do your songs, come one at a time, do your monologues. But why don't we all just, you know, join in as a group audition and watch through everybody's audition? Oh. And everyone in that room was like, oh, my God, Wendy, that's such a great idea. I can't believe I didn't think of that myself. Oh, my God. And I'm just sitting there, like, off of two hours of sleep thinking, I just want to fucking get home. 
<laughs> I am tired. I am not going to sit through everyone's songs. Also, another thing that is changing, this is the thing that I notice a difference between the U.S. and the U.K., mm-hmm. but the U.S., for me at least, we have 16 bar cuts. We have eight bar cuts sometimes, and so when you go to an audition, you just you, you do your cut and you're done. In the U.K., people do full songs. And I don't, I, I must have missed the memo, but everyone in that audition was doing their entire song. And it would have been fine if we weren't sitting in every person's audition, listening to every person's song. So I was livid. And then I got up and did my cut and it took literally like 15 seconds. And I was like, all right, that's it. That's all I got. And so we did that. And then we also did a group monologue audition as well. How long were you in there for? How many people? I must have taken ages. It, it did. Lydia and uh, Hannah were in my audition as well. Oh, really? These are also graduates from our course as well. They are. Uh, yeah. Shout so out we to you. <laughs> a, and so we, we three were in that same audition. There was at least like 12 people. Oh, wow. So the auditions started at like four and I didn't get out until like nine. In the evening? Yeah. yeah. Wow. That yeah. is dedication. Right. <laughs> And then after the monologues, because like the monologue portion, I was in a daze. I just wanted it done. I don't even remember what I did. But then after the monologues, we had one-on-one meetings. Mm -hmm. And of course, I was the last one. (laughs) And so by the time I even got into my meeting, I like, she asked me two questions. And then for me, since I've been doing a lot of uh, MA um, interviews, one of the questions that I've always asked the the interviewee, uh, the interviewer is, um, what what about your course do you like the most or what about your course do you think uh should appeal to your your the the students and wendy says i don't know i'm not a part of this course i'm part of the ba course and i'm like okay bye (laughs) and that was it so i literally i went home thinking i bombed that audition like it was the worst one out of everything that i've done so far and here we are you got in. I got in. <laughs> but also, like, hearing your guys' like, audition stories, like, we didn't have Arthur. So I feel like a lot of things would have changed if I had, like, a dance portion as well. Oh, you guys didn't dance? No, we didn't dance. We just oh. did songs and we just did monologues. See, but, like, when I went there, I, I didn't think we would dance. Like, I, I didn't generally... tell you? I'm not sure. I don't know if I if I just read it wrong or just mm-hmm. didn't realize. But I think because I was thought I know it was a musical theater course, but I was like, you know, it's central, specializing like singing and acting. It yeah. would be movement. I like I knew we would move in some way, but I didn't think it would be like proper dancing. And mm-hmm. we had Arthur at our audition, and it was proper contemporary <laughs> stellar yeah. dancing. I was like, oh, oh, okay, oh, here we go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I definitely wouldn't have been able to do those in my chinos. <laughs> no, you wouldn't have. <laughs> no, that's so cute though that you wore it. Like you essentially wore that outfit for like twenty-four hours. I did. Yes, I did. Never could uh, look at that outfit the same. How was your journey coming from the U.S. to London? How did everything start out for you? Because it must have been such a massive change. Not only the different way of training but also coming to a new country completely by yourself and starting at this amazing school all at once (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so 
having done a study abroad, my mindset was like, I got this. I know what it's going to be like. There was such a huge like culture shock when I when I got to the the UK. The biggest thing that I I would say that I missed was food. I just missed like all of my like usual places that I would go to. But that that kind of fixed it fixed itself not quickly but uh, uh, eventually just cuz I found like my own little hole in the wall places that I would go to every week. So that's how I I managed with that. But one of the biggest culture shock things that happened to me was just like I never knew how affected I was by labels, just like coloring, marketing of like different brands. Because for me, if I go to a store and I see a green bag of potato chips, I'm thinking sour cream and onion. But in the UK, that could be something completely different. So like I'll be looking and like never seeing what I want because yeah. I'm looking for colors and I'm not look and I'm looking for brand names, but I'm I'm not seeing like the other stuff. That's true cuz green is salt and vinegar I think in the UK. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> yeah, and I hate salt and vinegar. So like it was such a weird thing. And then like this I I am ashamed about this, but like I was trying the hardest to find lotion cuz like I'm a brown boy, so I get ashy really quickly. So I have to have lotion every day. And I just could not find the lotion aisle. Every time I looked, I just I kept finding soap. So I always kept buying soap and not realizing it. So I get home and I put a bunch of soap on my body and not and then just like realizing this is not lotion, this is soap. And it took me like a good like month or two to finally realize where the soap aisle was. Just cuz I wasn't rec- I didn't recognize with any of the brand names. So mm-hmm. I was looking for like the stuff that I would usually buy but I I couldn't find them so I would just pick whatever said body lotion on it but sometimes it would be body soap and i it didn't say that or it said something different yeah so that 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 was that was hard <laughs> too much to handle it was so much <laughs> yeah but um i think i i slowly started assimilating to city life which was something that i was worried about as well cuz i south carolina rock hill is where i'm from in south carolina it's it's a really big open city it's not like it's not um there's not a lot of tall buildings or mm-hmm. um like there's not a huge downtown area it's a lot of just open plains yeah. so i that was something that i was kind of you know hesitant about moving to the city but you get into that you know london mentality sooner than you later you do <laughs> I, th- i think you have to you just have to adapt to like walking in a straight line into the tube <laughs> exactly and adapt to the pace as well we all walk very very quick in London. We do. And I thought like, I was walking. I thought I adapted pretty quickly, but uh, Sophie, another one of our grads, kept like harping on me because I was walking too slow. <laughs> and I was like, I'm walking really fast. Like I don't like sports. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I hate racing. <laughs> and um how was your like time throughout both trainings? Obviously they must have been so different, but like how was it for you? Did you have any ups and downs throughout your trainings um so I'll, i'll lightly touch on the us because in the us another reason why i wanted to do a masters is because the faculty that i was working with in at winthrop university were a little bit toxic we had one professor in particular who um had like favorites he had like a circle of people that he would constantly you know give opportunities to and my freshman year and my even my sophomore year I was never seen in his eye as like a potential person because he he did all the musicals. 
So anytime I auditioned for him, he just kind of threw me aside. But it wasn't until one of his people who were his favorites recommended me. And then I was eventually in one of his classes. And then he firsthand saw how talented I was. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there was a lot of like toxic- toxicity uh, with that. And so um, I felt like that hindered a lot of people's enjoyment of the course. So that's that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do a master's. Um, just so I can have a different experience with professors. And so um, the UK, I, I think I, I may have told you this, but I, I, I've told a lot of people from our course this, but I struggled so much in the first semester and a little bit in the second semester as well, just because I had incredible imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Because um, coming from Winthrop University and not really knowing a lot about musical theater, I... I just felt like I was so ill-prepared for all of the classes. Like, I, I would tell people that my goal every week was to say one thing in repertoire class. And I would fail that goal so many times, and I would feel bad about it. And then, like, anytime I would be performing in front of you guys for, like, singing through text or uh, in front of um, Emma, like, I would, I would be filled with anxiety and... I, I felt like that hindered my growth a lot the first semester. And this happens even well into um, devising unit. And mm-hmm. so, like, I remember the first, one of the first days in devising unit, we had to go around in a circle and talk about our favorite piece of glass. Do you remember that? I do. <laughs> I was filled with so much anxiety. Like, my arms were shaking. I don't know why. I just, I was so nervous around you guys. And uh, it didn't go away for quite some time. So I did counseling through Central, which was really great. Um, and then there was a, a big moment during um, showcase. We, we had like our mock showcase day. And it was a day where we all got together and uh, Maria and Emma kind of created a mock set list. And we would go through it one by one and see everyone's performance. I really don't remember the mock at all. It was right before, the weekend before we went into tech. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, well, mean, I believe you. It happened. I just <laughs> probably was like, ooh, I don't remember yeah. much about showcase unit to be fair. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we had those, we had a mock day where we went through, like, Emma kind of picked what she thought would be best in what order. Mm-hmm. And so we went through that order. And everyone on the sides were super supportive of everyone else and were like, go, everybody, yay. And I was just sitting there full of fear. Because I was like, I'm not only performing in front of my peers, which I hate, but I'm also performing in front of my favorite professors, which I also hate. And so I, I, got, I get up with Lydia, who's my partner for Showcase, and we do time stops. And my body also stopped because I did not move the entire time. And as soon as I was finished with that song, the anxiety started like trickling out through my fingertips and it slowly started dissipating. And my first thought immediately after was this has to like this can't happen anymore i need to find a way to make this go away and so i spent that whole weekend right before showcase literally just like having like a heart to heart with myself and figuring out like what i need to do to change what's holding me back why am i thinking this way when i'm performing and then something somehow clicked and i started being kinder to myself and when i when i went into showcase i was just having the time of my life. I was having so much fun. And yeah, and I felt like performing in Showcase was probably the best, the best performance I've done so far up to that point. 
I even got like outstanding notes from Maria, which I never get. So I was super thrilled about that. So yeah, I definitely felt like things that was showcase was when the time was the time that things shifted for me, mm-hmm. which made going into Into the Woods a lot easier because playing the baker in front of you guys with that my, with my old mindset would have been god awful. But I was actually having so much fun playing the baker and was like making choices, like really weird kooky choices, like <laughs> throwing my hat around, like pretending to be old. Like it was it was a it was a grand time. Yeah, no, yeah. that is. I think it's really important and really good that you actually also sat down with yourself and you acknowledged it because it would have been so easy for you to just continue that way, live in fear, and then also Mm -hmm. like kind of waste your whole year. Whereas with you sitting down and acknowledging it, because that must have not been easy at all. Like it's terrifying, isn't it? Yeah. Like for you sitting down, facing your fears and being like, okay, I need to fix something. I think that is really admirable and it's so valuable that you actually went and did it. Yeah. And like, I think one of the the mentalities of doing a a master's training is that you have to get your skills ready for the the industry and everything needs to be perfect. But for me, the reason why my skills weren't performing as well as they could have been was because of the anxiety and the fear. So I think that shift of thinking, okay, I don't need to work on my skills. My skills are fine. I need to work on my mental my, my mentality of performance and my mental health. And that's huge because once you get over that barrier, the skills just kind of allow themselves to come out freely. And you, you want that. You, want, you don't want anything to be forced when you're performing. You want it to just come out naturally. And so exactly. I think there's a lot of power in mental rehabilitation. I know that, that there's like a, connota- like a negative connotation with rehabilitation, but like it's, nothing's wrong with getting therapy and talking through some of the insecurities that we have because we all have them. Yeah, we definitely all have them. Definitely. Yeah. And I think also when you do a one-year course, be it an MA or a non-MA, I think when you know you only have one year, you actually don't have 12 months. You have like nine months, let's say. And mm-hmm. it's such a short amount of time to like get all your skills up to exactly where they want them. So that pressure comes on top as well, doesn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. And after graduating, how was your graduating journey in London? Did you feel so prepared? I yeah, I definitely felt way more prepared than I was uh, out of Winthrop, just because we had like actors research and all these other classes that helped us prepare for what was going to come. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't really nervous per se. That could be part partly due to the fact that I was in visa land. I was trying to figure out my visa. Of course, yeah. Yeah. And and so I wasn't really focused on like, I have to get a job right away and I have to go to all these workshops and all this stuff. I was more of like, SIP and visa. Got to get those done. <laughs> but I, I, I knew there was a moment where I felt prepared because for audition unit, our final exam was we had to do a mock audition in front of industry professionals. And while that was happening, you know this, but I was auditioning for a, a show. I was actually auditioning for a musical called Working the Musical with High Impact Theater. And so I I did the audition with them earlier in the year and then they called me back and the callback was on the same day as my audition unit exam. So I I talked to Paul and I told him, hey, I have this audition. Could you push me back later in the exam day? And he was like, yeah, sure. And so I had my audition in the morning. So I bust to my audition, did that, 
then bust back to the school and did the exact same audition, but in just in front of industry, industry professionals for my exam. So I, I knew that I was doing the right stuff. I knew that my audition technique was good. Everything was working. So yeah, I, I did feel prepared going into the audition grind because I just, I was getting so much, I was getting a lot of tools from Central, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, well, you got, you got your, when did rehearsals start for working? I think Quite they soon. started in, it was either in August or September. I think it was in September. Yeah. So you, di- you didn't have that pressure of getting your first job directly after Central because it was kind of nicely merged in, wasn't it? Well, sort of nicely. Yeah, I actually initially didn't get the job. So I, after graduating or after doing the audition unit, um, I flew back home for mm-hmm. our 4th of July weekend, talked to my agent. Uh, and they told me that I didn't get working, which wasn't a big like letdown. Like I was fine. I knew it was my first audition outside of Central. So I thought, okay, we just go up and beyond from, from here. And then it wasn't until I flew back into the UK and had my first meeting with my agent. They told me, hey, somebody dropped out and they want you. And I was like, wonderful. I'll take it. <laughs> I love how you have all these coincidences happening. It's like as if art is like, yes, you're made for me. Come to me. <laughs> oh my God. My life has been just full of different coincidences. Because like a lot of my first couple of jobs uh, in the US was because of people that I knew. Like after doing Grace for President, my someone who I was working with, their girlfriend needed someone for a, a, a tour, for a children's <laughs> tour. So they asked me, and because I did Grace for President, Riverside Theater, the, the theater that I worked in in Florida, they were like, oh, we saw you did Grace for President. Yeah, let's do, let's have you on board here doing our children's shows. And it was just, theater is a lot about connections. And I know that scares a lot of people, but it really is. And sometimes you don't even know you're making the connections. They just kind of happen in the background. Very, very true. So Mm -hmm. true. And I think also networking is a skill that if you want to be in the creative arts industry, no matter if you're a performer or in at backstage, like you really need to learn how to network and make it work for you as well. Yeah. I think the thing, the, the negative connotation about networking is that it feels like you're begging people for connections. Mm -hmm. But I think if you just view networking as like, just, just be friendly to people, just be nice to people. And don't expect anything from them because just putting that like positive energy into someone else and them recognizing that positive energy is coming from you, it, it speaks loads. Cause then that energy then sp- trickles on elsewhere. Like I, I got a, not a job, but like I got a, a performance opportunity because I was in an audition for this um, like children's touring thing for a, like Panto tour. Then when I got back, my agent was like, hey, I got, I got a call back from this casting director. And I was like, oh, did I get it? And, there, and my agent was like, no, you didn't get it. And I was like, all right, well, what do they want? And they said that they had like a friend who needed uh, an Indian actor and she didn't know anybody, but she thought you were great in the audition. So like, she, would you be able to help her friend out? And I was like, sure, why not? So like the positive energy you bring into a room definitely does travel. Yeah, it doesn't go unnoticed at all. Yeah. Especially like, I think a lot of the times when you're in an audition room with like loads of people, you sometimes think that you're not seen, but I think the panel is so trained that they actually can scan everyone and remember more people than we actually think that they do. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then you said that you were in visa and SIP land. How is it getting a visa for the UK? It's different for all countries, I know. But like, how was your experience doing that? Because that was a big, big thing for you guys. It was awful. <laughs> it was so hard, Christiana. It was so hard. And it's all right. So we're about to get into my visa struggles. But um, so getting a tier five work visa, which is essentially what I was I was getting uh, for the UK, it, it, it is usually a straightforward process. So the process is you get a sponsor. The sponsor tells the UK government, hey, this person is going to be working for me. And from their working with me, they are going to I'm going to give them money. So they will be able to support themselves and be a productive member of the UK society. And the government's like, cool, approved. That's not the case with people who are in the creative field. So the visa that I was going for was a tier five creative and sporting visa. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they put arts and sports together in the same <laughs> I was visa. about to say. <laughs> yeah, I have no clue, but they are, deal with it. And so with that visa, I was sponsored by my agent. So my agent tells the UK government, hey, this guy is a client for me, but I don't have jobs for him. I'm not giving him the money he needs to survive. He's going to have to get that on his own. And then the UK government's like, yeah, cool. That's fine. As long as he gets that money from other fields in the creative industry. So in theater, in teaching theater, etc. So my challenge is I have to find jobs that are in the realm of theater, but not what not jobs that my agent gets me. So like I would have, for example, I had to teach. So I taught drama and I taught film. The struggle with that being a tier four student visa is on the tier four student visa, you are not allowed to work as a freelancer. That means any job in the creative field, because at, at any job doing teaching or doing a show, you, ha- you work as a freelancer. So I wasn't allowed to look for those jobs. So bec- I was in a, a paradox, essentially, because I wasn't allowed to look for jobs that would help me get the visa that lets me get those jobs. Yeah. So I essentially had to talk to different schools and different companies and be like, hey, I want to work for you, but don't pay me. Because if you pay me, then it's freelance work. And so I essentially had to wait till I got my tier five visa to send in all my invoices at once. And some companies were like, no, that's sketch by which I don't blame them. And uh, luckily, some people were like, yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Just we'll get it sorted whenever you can, as long as you're able to work. And I was like, okay, cool. So that process was very stressful. That took a couple months on its own. Another thing I hate about the visa application (laughs) is that anytime you're on the phone with them, first of all, it takes hours to get on the phone with them to answer any simple question. And then when you're on the phone with them, they literally just say, just refer back to our website. Our website has all of the information you need. Any questions? And I'm like, no, because you can't answer my one question. And so I would, the website was very unclear as to the specific details because one of the things that I read up was you could switch from a tier four to a tier five mm-hmm. without having to leave the UK. So I thought that applied to me. So that's what I did. And so I spent 400 pounds applying for this application and then only to get rejected because 
you cannot switch from a tier four visa to a tier five creative and sporting visa. You can only oh. switch to the general work visa. And so for me, I had to leave the country, go back home to South Carolina, reapply there, then wait for my application to be approved, then fly back to the UK. So I had to waste another, it was so awful. I had to waste another 400 pounds. Um, I I got to go home for Christmas, which was really nice because I didn't think I would be able to go back home for Christmas that year. But um, it was was kind of like a stressful Christmas because we were all like waiting around to see like, is Shivam going to get to the UK or not? Well, well, like, what will happen? But luckily, my application did get approved. And so I came back in January. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the most ironic thing about this whole <laughs> application process, I spent close to seven months trying to get this application approved so I could work in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I've spent most of it in the US. Because of Corona. <laughs> Woohoo, Corona. Not so good. visas are hard <laughs> shivam is not a fan of visas but I, who is I'm, who is right who, <laughs> who cares for visas in your opinion what are the biggest differences in theater culture between the us and the uk okay so these are just my opinions uh the the industry may be completely different in other people's eyes but the reason why i was i am so attracted to the uk theater scene is because I think it is much more of a collaborative field. And I think UK creatives really care about the craft. They care about the, 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 the building process of it. They care about the, the research of it. They care about the product and they care about what that product means to the people. My experience with the U.S. market is I think it's a lot more, I think it's a lot more driven by the monetary value of it. And that's not to say that London isn't also driven by monetary value because we need money in order to continue doing theater. But I think because there's so much in marketing and production value in the U.S., the caliber is set so high that for people like us who have gone through a master's program, it, it would still be difficult to get into like the New York theater scene. And that's mm-hmm. not to say that that's bad per se, because you do have high quality shows and high quality theater that you can't get anywhere else in the US. But I think that then asks a lot about the performers and a lot is expected to be within us already by the before we even before we're even in the room like you have to be like a quadruple quintuplet threat nowadays to even be seen which i think is is a lot to ask on somebody i've heard horror stories of people uh my friends who would go to open calls and get there like five o'clock in the morning and wait until three o'clock and only to be told that they they're cut because they're not equity members yeah and so um and like, I know that's just my experience because my experience in the UK, even with having an agent and without having an agent, I've been able to audition and have a dedicated time slot just for me, it, whether that be 10 minutes or 15 minutes or just five minutes, at least I know that I'm, I have the time to be seen, to be heard and to meet the people, meet the people that I'm, I'm, um, I potentially could be working with. And like, I've had an experience 
in um, Florida where I, I, audi I auditioned for Aladdin the Musical. And um, as I was waiting in line, we each all had 16 bar cuts, which isn't very long. And one of the, the panel members came out and they said, hey, everyone from now on needs to have an eight bar cut because we don't have time to see all of you. And so I literally went in, did like five seconds of singing and was told, okay, thank you, bye. And so I, I definitely do think there's a lot, there's a lot of expectations on the US actors in order to bring so much to the table. Whereas where I'm in the UK, the casting breakdown could be, the, the casting breakdowns that I see are like, we just want to hear your pop song. We just want to hear your rock songs. And yes, they want you to hear the whole song, but they're never going to ask you to bring in anything else. Like in the US, uh, I sometimes have to bring my whole book of everything that I know. And sometimes I've been in auditions where they'll look through my book and be like, no, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Oh, this song. Do you, do you, can you do this for us right now? And it felt like a quiz every single time. And like, of course I could, I could sing that song if I prepared it, but I felt like I had to have everything on the edge of my mind ready to perform for them. So just so I could prove to them that I could perform. But in the UK, they, I, I feel like I'm, I'm seen as more like, yeah, we, we just want to see your, we want to see if you can do this part. Sure, we, when we're in the room, we can see what else you can do. But right now, I just need to know if you're right for this role. That's one thing I like about the audition process, but also just like the theater in the UK um, and the musical theater is just, it's great on its own just because the people care about it so much more, at least in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it is kind of embedded in their cultures. Like people just grow up with it. It's in their blood as well. Yeah. And like they grow up it's with respected, it. It's respected, I think. Yeah. But that's so interesting that you say that with the... Um, having to prove yourself because it is true once you are invited to an audition you have to be in the mindset like I had to like retrain that as well and it just helps so much more you don't have to prove to the panel that you can sing act and dance because that's a given we've all trained mm -hmm. and we've been invited for a reason I think then mm -hmm. the power thing needs to like disappear and you need to kind of like be like yeah I am a professional performer and you just need to see if I fit for the role but not reassess my skills because you can essentially do everything that you were taught. Yeah. That's really interesting. It's, our job is like the only job where like people forget, like they think that we just forget everything in between every audition. They're like, Oh, we just want to make sure you can do that again. Very true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in your opinion, what unites us as creatives? Oh man. It's my mean question section. <laughs> this is when we get deep, right? It is. <laughs> um, I think what unites us as creatives is our ability to empathize with the work that we do. Because I think like empathy, like I, I really enjoy thinking about the psychology of theater and why a playwright writes an actor this way why the relationships are so complex and that's such an actor thing for me to say like why does this character respond this way but like i really do enjoy figuring out those those details and figuring out what makes people tick and so when i watch a show i'm not only am i thinking about that but i also come out with like a newfound empathy for that character for that person and i think theater is so great at a showcasing different perspectives and allowing you to understand those perspectives through stories, which just kind of helps us 
connect with each other because then we can then when I'm in a rehearsal room I have a stronger ability to empathize with how you're feeling and I think that's what makes theater work so well as a collaborative art form is because we all are just trying to share stories while working with each other for a brief amount of time so we share a lot of our lives with each other in such a short amount of time and so we then understand how other people are thinking we understand how they're feeling we can we then change in order to adapt to how that person's feeling i then i now know how to respond to you or how to talk to you because i understand how you're feeling and so i think that ability to expand our empathy is is really great because i could have different views than somebody else but we can watch the same show and empathize either in the same way or in a different way with whatever the the show was about but we both went through that process we both realized something either about ourselves or about other people and i think that's what connects us together is that that ability to understand people just people telling people's stories i think that's that's really powerful yeah no that's beautiful that's a beautiful quality as well and what's the biggest thing that you have learned as a performer i think it would it would kind of go back to what you were saying about not having to prove yourself in an audition room this is something that i i still kind of struggle with but i i think i'm getting better at it and denise goff she says it she she has a story that kind of helped me realize this so her story is that she was auditioning for a part and uh, she thought she nailed it but she didn't get it and so she felt a little jaded at first uh but when she went to go see the show she saw the actress who was playing that part and she thought to herself wow that actress is killing it she's making all the choices that i never thought i would make with that role so i'm so glad that she got it and she she went back home and she thought about that whole process and she realized that not only is she auditioning for the panel or the show but she's essentially auditioning for the character the character is in the room watching your audition and it it's that's not to make you nervous but it's to help you understand that no matter what happens in the audition room the character is going to find the right person to play them they're going to figure out who will best represent them and seek them out and usually that happens sometimes you get rubbish people playing rubbish parts and you can't really help that um you just kind of have to trust that process that you are you are going to be right for the role if you're right for the role and i had another director who kind of also explained it in a different way but he he explains it more in the industry side so he says that this company a is looking for a blue marker and you come in and you say hey i have i have red my my color is red do you guys need red and company a will say oh i'm sorry we really like red but we need blue and so that's not to say that your red is bad but that's to say that your red will be needed when we need red uh and sometimes company a may think oh wow i never saw this part as red so let's see what red looks like instead of blue and that does happen but in most cases you have to think it's not they're not judging you they're just seeing if how well you fit the part and I I then that helps me take the anxiety off of myself cuz sometimes we think about oh my god I'm nervous about singing I I I don't know if I can hit this note right today it I hope I can remember all the words I hope they like me like we think about all these things that makes it so much about ourselves 
Um, but we just kind of have to take a step back and think it's, it's about other people. It's about the audience. It's about the character who I'm auditioning for in the room. So it, it, that kind of takes the stress off of me. And I think that that was a really useful lesson that I learned. I love that. I've never thought <laughs> of it with the character in the room. Yeah, it's like a little ghostly uh, apparition that you just see behind everybody and you're like, all right, I'll accept it. <laughs> I love ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's really cool. Thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that. No, of course. A few little methods there. <laughs> <laughs> Taking some notes. Yes, I actually did. <laughs> I love taking notes from you, even in Into the Woods, when I was like, Sharon, you need to help me. I don't oh, understand. I those times, yes. And you would little, sit on like, that little table. Seconds. Yeah. That was my table. That was like my, my workstation. <laughs> you just claimed it. You're like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> With all the like paper clips and the, the rubber ball. And I actually the have the rubber knick-knacks. ball. Oh, you took the rubber ball? I did. The egg. <laughs> <laughs> did I take anything? I don't think I did take anything. That's sad. I did no, take you a must book. have took. Oh, there you go. See? Yeah, I took a book. Yeah. Uh, I took a book. The What was it called? A Boy Called Hope. Oh. Yeah, it was so sad because, like, I remember I was, I was reading it while Adam was saying something. I don't know. I was reading the back of it, and it was, like, a boy whose father abandoned him. And I started bawling. I was like, oh, my God, this is too real. And so I took the book home with me. I mean, the amount of books we actually read. Oh, yeah. It's good. I mean, <laughs> if you need any magic beans, I can send you some over because I've got the magic beans too. Yes, I would love some magic beans. <laughs> All the secrets coming out here. <laughs> um, and what makes you unique as a performer? Uh, I was thinking about this. I don't know. I'm, I'm a South Asian musical theater actor from the States, from South, from the South in the States. I don't know. Yeah. I, I always thought that made me unique, but I mean, there's a bunch of Indian musical theater actors in the UK. So this is going to be like a very psychedelic answer. But I think, I think what makes us unique is we're inherently unique, right? Like we all, like there will never be another me. Like there could be someone who looks like me. There could be someone who has my name, which has happened and has caused a lot of confusion. But there will never be someone who thinks exactly like me or has gone through the exact experiences like me. So I think I'm special. I think I'm, I'm unique in a way. Like if it may not be the same unique as other people, but like, I can't really pinpoint it because it's a combination of like everything I've gone through. It's a combination of the, my whole visa process is a combination of me having a computer science background. Like it's, it's all these weird trinkets that, to like create the way that I think. And I think that that in itself is unique. Yeah. Well, you definitely are special. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Validation. <laughs> yes. No, we all are. And you have such lovely qualities that I think you yourself don't see sometimes or see and don't like sharing, you know? Yeah, that's definitely it. I don't like sharing. <laughs> so, <laughs> need to celebrate yourself do you have any last comments or advice that you want to give the listeners today i think what i want to say and this is something that i also still struggle with because my mentality is very some it sometimes can get really rigid and it could be very you know business-like and I, i can think okay what do i have to do with my my role what are the you know like what is my purpose what is my goal 
well, what are my obstacles? Like I, I start to like overthink everything. And I think something that helps me is to have like a step back and to remember to just have fun with it. If you're a performer and you are trying to make it right now, just remember the fun times that you've had with performance. And remember that like theater and being an actor is intrinsically a stressful job. And so when you're actually in the room and you're performing, you don't need that to also be stressful. You want that to be as carefree and as fun as you can be because that, like I think we, we spoke about this earlier, but that lets it flow out more naturally. And then you start making choices in the room and those choices then also bring positive energy. And we know how positive energy is and how great that can be. So just remember that it is supposed to be a fun job. It is not like your normal nine to five job you go in, you do your work, and then you go home and you rest up so you can do your work again. Yeah, there's some elements of that with us as well. There are, you know, serious things that we have to consider when doing our work in terms of technique and um, tech and, you know, rehearsal processes and etiquette. But just the actual doing of it, just play with it. It's plays. They're plays. You you want to play. It's in the word, <laughs> isn't it? It's in the word. Yeah. They're telling you to do it, so do it. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on today. I loved no. hearing your journey. Thank you for having me. I miss talking to you so much. I feel so bad. I've I've been so neglectful of all my friends just because corona world and trying to figure out my life but I'm, yeah. I'm so glad i get to see your face and hear your voice and talk to you about theater <laughs> <laughs> always a pleasure <laughs> yes please and i'm gonna i'm gonna come to switzerland i'm, I'm gonna do. visit you my mom that's like her one destination anytime i ask her where do you want to go she's like switzerland and i'm like all right we'll go to switzerland mom <laughs> one day you'll make yes. it you'll come over I'll and visit I'll be back. I mean, I'm here, so you know. <laughs> and if it's for vacation, I don't have to get a visa, so uh, check for me. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you have enjoyed this episode with Shivan Patel. Artist Avenue will be back next Wednesday with a very special episode, the season one finale. Make sure to tune in because you don't want to miss this one. So have a fabulous week and see you soon.